life. It's more full of surprises than anything you could make up. Scary stories, funny stories, sad stories, we've got them all and they're all true. Everyone has at least one great story. What's yours? All right, who ordered takeaway? Got your true story coming right up. I'd like a funny story with a dash of bellyache, please. Um, could I get something with aliens, guns, and travel, please? A one thriller with an overlay of a relationship going wrong. One takeaway order of suspense, please. You're gonna love all this stuff here. It's all really awesome. This is Tall Tales Takeaway, the podcast of bite-sized stories for curious minds on the go. Hi and welcome to today's show. This is Tall Tales Takeaway, the podcast of true stories presented by Tall Tales, India's longest-running live storytelling event series. I'm Michael Burns. One of the best sauces for storytelling is misunderstanding. So when people and events of a story swim in copious amounts of misunderstanding, you have seemingly endless directions that a story can go in. And this is the case with today's episode as well. Gori Balani was a college student in the 90s at Yale University and was so focused on her studies that she rarely paid any attention to anything else. But there are some people so charismatic, so magnetic that you can't help but notice. I'll let her tell you the rest. Here she is with Law Girls and Boys Together. Hi, I'm Gauri Balani, a doctor by vocation and a writer and potter by avocation. This is about my education while I was at Yale, which was far beyond the books that I read and the classes that I attended. I was always an avid reader. Books were my companions and playmates, more than people. I would be forced out of the house every evening to go play with the other kids. And I would end up borrowing books from neighbors and reading them in the dim garden light. The result of all that reading was a pair of thick glasses, some extra weight, a lot of information about a lot of things, and a not-so-worldly view of, well, the world. This habit of reading stood me in good stead, though, as I went through school, high school, medical college, and landed myself at Yale School of Medicine at the age of 28. By that time, I considered myself fairly educated, and knowledgeable about a lot of things, and I thought I had gained some sophistication and a certain cynicism about the world. The Yale campus is beautiful. I arrived in fall when the leaves are turning color, and having read so much about it, exploring the Yale School of Medicine, the Sterling Library, the various secret societies, the law school, was obviously the first thing on my agenda. The first week, I wandered around, gape-mouthed as any six-year-old would, seeing a candy store for the first time. Eventually remembering my persona as a sophisticated, well-traveled doctor, I acted blasé about the whole thing and just overlooked all the splendid architecture that was there to see. I went about settling down in my school and studies. As is typical of a grad student, I was looking for ways to supplement my parents-sponsored income. After a little bit of legwork, I landed a job at the prestigious Yale Law School Library as a doorkeeper. It was a coveted position, as the perks included the use of the library, the squishy, comfortable armchairs, time to study, and the wonderful opportunity to hear some of the future lawyers and lawmakers 
debate some point of law. Imagine one of them might be the future Attorney General, work at the UNO, or become a member of the NATO. And I, as a doorkeeper, was one in charge of access to their beloved tomes, their eccentric troll doll collections, and their precious notes and random flyers about the social activities of the law school. I must confess, every once in a while, I would deny entry to someone not carrying their school ID, even if I knew them. I would imagine the stories I would tell my grandchildren, saying, no entry without ID to the future Secretary General of the UN, when she was a student. By and large, though, the students did have their ID and therefore had no reason to chit-chat with the doorkeeper. And I was usually surrounded by a pile of assignment and reading material that I had to complete. So there was a little chance for social gatherings and conversation. There was one notable exception. James. James always stopped at the desk when I was working and chat a while in whispers with me. Ask me about my pile of assignments for the day and how I was doing, whether I was enjoying school and whether the weather was difficult for me to handle. Even if I happened to miss looking at his ID, he would wave it at me playfully till I would give him the permission to enter the library. Ah, James. With his curly reddish-brown hair falling over his forehead, his glasses framing startlingly blue expressive eyes, high forehead, hawkish nose, strong chin, lips up-tilted, as if he were laughing at some joke only he was a party to. He had an air of just having played a prank on someone and was waiting to be called out. In contrast, he talked in a calm, deliberate drawl, which made him so fascinating. Uh, was he the mischievous prank-playing social butterfly indicated by his looks? Or was he the deep-thinking, measured, opinion-forming intellectual that he spoke like? I wondered what other layers he had every time I waved him by. James. Even after so many years, just saying his name evokes so many sentiments. He was my silly schoolgirl, years too late crush. A secretly linking names with hearts in my notebook crush. A pretending not to be, but actually desperately looking forward to seeing him every day crush. A swapping shifts to coincide with his routine crush. Very dramatic, misery-to-ecstasy-in-a-minute high school crush. Except that I was 28 years old, and this felt about as far from high school as I could get. In keeping with my adopted persona, I tried to pretend I was indifferent to James and tried not to grin too much after our whispered conversations at the desk. As the term wore on, however, my crush grew along with the piles of assignments cluttering my desk. I desperately tried to stay one step ahead of the reading and barely looked up to glance at the ID cards flashing my way, except James. 
I guiltily pushed my pending work aside every time I saw James to catch just a few moments of conversation. I learned about his frequent trips to New York and Washington DC. The fact that he was a music graduate from Juilliard and worked with upcoming musicians and dancers to help protect their copyrights. He was interning in the coming summer at a New York law firm which only heightened my already grandiose imaginary scenarios about James. We would live in a New York Soho loft. And he would be the youngest person to make partner at the 300-year-old law firm. I would entertain his famous musician friends and dancer colleagues with authentic Indian food and drink. I would be the exotic Indian wife who spoke impeccable English but with an accent. By this time, I thought I got to know James fairly well, learning that he was from Montana spawning another fantasy about acres of farmland and long, leisurely horse rides, cold winters and fireside conversations. Indeed, he kept surprising me with things like an invitation to hear an a cappella group that he was a part of, an invite to volunteer at the tech recycling project, or a picnic with Indian friends for holy celebrations at the school. I was impressed at his knowledge about Indian culture and secretly wondered, nay, hoped, that he'd read up on my account. I thought I was being very adult and hiding my crush very well, but my mentor at the library, Margaret, was on to me. Margaret was a rosy-cheeked, sweet-looking 50-year-old lady with a soft face and curly mop of hair. She was the assistant librarian in charge of personnel, among other things. Many people were deceived by her soft, innocent grandma looks. In reality, she was a graduate of Yale Law School herself, had eidetic memory, and was a whiz at using LexisNexis, which is a network that law schools use. Based on the speed at which she could resolve questions put to her, she apparently had the ability to read people's minds. She quietly observed my crush grow over the first few weeks, undoubtedly noting my silly blushing and the soft pink heart haze that surrounded me whenever James stopped by at the desk to talk to me. But there seemed to be an undercurrent of concern in our conversations about him, a certain hesitation. That puzzled me. But my pink heart beat on, unabated. At long last, the term wound to an end, bringing with it test results, plans for the summer, and this being a highly competitive environment, plans for the next term's social calendar. James mentioned that he would be standing for student council presidential election in the next term. President of the Student Council. President. Student Council today. And in the years to come. Dare I say it. The country? White House, I gasped to myself. Was I ready? Maybe I should take classes in deportment or something. Maybe I would make a charming Indian first lady. Was I prepared though? 
in a daze automatically i promised to help him in his campaign preparations and tried to hide my thrill at being asked i took it as a sign that he wanted to see more of me too and perhaps this was the first of many campaign meetings that i would brainstorm at just before the last day of the term james stopped by at the library even though exams were over and done with we had a great conversation interspersed with laughter and jokes and no one to shush us after all that was my job we wished each other happy holidays and made plans to kick his campaign off in high gear in the following weeks as he headed out he left behind his campaign flyers for me to hand out i felt like i was floating away on wings of joy dizzy with the thoughts of james and the promise of so many intimate moments of working together in perfect harmony still floating on pink fluffy heart-shaped clouds i idly picked up the topmost flyer on the pile and read james for lgbt council president i paused in my rose scented garden and the proposal diamond of my imagination and read the flyer a little more closely council i understood president likewise james of course my heart skipping a beat but what in heaven's name was lgbt i frowned at the four letters was this some special kind of presidential title some elite secret society skull and bones like council that the law school had l obviously stood for law right or was it legal l g b t law girls and boys together that can't be right Baffled, I laid the flyer aside and resumed my daydreams of James. Margaret came by a little later to go over the end of term tasks and discuss the holiday shift with me. Not wanting to get off my pink floating cloud and my thoughts of James, I pointed to the flyers instead and proudly handed her one to read. She glanced at it absent-mindedly. I suddenly slipped into conversation the fact that James had left them there and he had asked me to help with his campaign. Margaret gave a look at the flyer again, this time a little more carefully, and just as carefully looked at my blushing face. She started to say something, hesitated, turned away from the desk. Then she turned back. giving me a very pregnant look and asked me gently gory you do know that james is the outgoing president of the lgbt council at yale don't you as a matter of fact i didn't know what lgbt council was or the fact that james was already the outgoing president not wanting to seem like a complete ignoramus i asked her if there was something wrong with james standing for elections again having carefully left out the lgbt margaret however caught the deliberate edit she looked at me again and after a few seconds of silence asked me gently again gory 
You do know what LGBT means, don't you? I sheepishly confessed that I did not. Margaret gave me a real pitying look and even more gently said, Lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender. As if apologizing for each of those words. I was struck dumb. I was still floating, but not in a pink haze cloud anymore. It felt disconnected, like I was observing this scene from away from my body. I must have made some appropriate reply because Margaret walked away from the desk. Almost dispassionately, I quietly processed the information. I considered it carefully turning it this way and that in my mind. I saw my Soho loft drifting away, the White House dissolving in a mist, the clink of glasses at the Indian banquet that I was going to lay fading away. I saw the smoke of the fireplace obscure the view of the Montana farmland. In fact, after a while, I came to myself with such a loud burst of laughter that I scared the campus tour winding its way through the library. I laughed loud and long, shaking my head at the pink heart-tinged dreams and waved them goodbye in my mind. It took me some time to understand the full implications of LGBT and that James was the president of LGBT Council. But it finally all sunk in. I would never be with James. Should my heart have splintered? Should I have wept instead of laughed over the perfidy of fate? Should I have fought with James for not telling me about which council president he was planning to win? Somehow, I just thought that would be ridiculous. As he had never been more than just a friendly soul to a stranger in his country. But this was not the end of our interaction, not by any means. I did help James with his campaign, and he did get re-elected. How could he not? James graduated one year later and joined the prestigious New York firm that he was interning at. He invited me to his graduation party, at which I met his partner. A really beautiful, handsome, dreamy dancer. No, we will not go there again. I continued to work at the law library for the next two years and eventually made new friends and even taking a couple of classes at the law school. Margaret and I are still in touch after about 12 years. And we do talk about James once in a while, amongst other things. James is now attorney at law and an active member of gay rights movements, as well as being a successful corporate lawyer. I still meet up with James and his partner when I am in New York. I am really proud to call him my friend. I still cannot really comprehend uh, a member of the LGBT community. But at least now I know what LGBT means. Thank you. 
Hey, it's Michael. We've got a small break coming up, after which we'll have a Q&A with the storyteller, so stick around. We hope you like Tall Tales Takeaway, India's first storytelling podcast. Chances are you'll want to check out the LSD cast, India's first podcast about love, sex, and dating. We think you'll like it. It's a very candid chat show hosted by Prem and Rogue. Look for a love, sex, dating cast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much for that, Gauri. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I enjoyed myself. So obviously the first question is, do you think that James knew that you had this crush on him? I think he did. And I think he enjoyed having a female crush <laughs> on him. But he was too nice of a guy to kind of, you know, take it any further than being friendly, really. <laughs> well, LGBT has been in the news quite a bit lately with so exactly, much happening. Exactly, with gay marriage being legalized now. I'm sure James is the happiest on earth right now. <laughs> I'm not sure he's ready to get married yet. <laughs> um, one of the things I love most about this story is that you're not afraid uh, to admit that you didn't know something. And I think that... That's, in my opinion, it's one of the secrets of a great story. Instead of uh, being a know-it-all and telling people about how uh, great you are, if you can talk about the things, the moments in life where you failed, uh, it's often often makes for a great story. Do you agree? I agree completely. And uh, something like this, and as you and I both, you know, talked about, this is my first story that I wrote for Tall Tales, and I just wanted to. Bring it to people's attention is that no matter how well read and knowledgeable you think you are, there's always things that you don't know. And it's always better to acknowledge the fact that you don't know than to pretend that, oh, yeah, you know, I know everything. So for me, this was really close to my heart for James, of course. And plus for the fact that that was probably the first time in my life um, that I realize that I don't have to be egoistic and, you know, prove to the world that I know everything. It's okay to not know something. So you have one of the largest collections of stories of anybody who's participated in Tall Tales, uh, Gori. What do you like about telling these? Uh, the first thing I do enjoy is writing them, really. And um, I think I have found my avocation, as I was saying earlier. Uh, the second thing is, I think there's a connect when you... And you have pointed this out yourself, is that if you are honest up out there and you are saying the story and it is your own story, you're being vulnerable with it. People connect. And I love that connection. Be it an audience of one or an audience of a hundred, that connection that is there for a couple of hours is so beautiful. That's what keeps me driving to write another one and another one and another one. Awesome. Thanks so much, Gori. Thank you, Michael. And that's the end of today's show. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a single episode. And if you do like what you heard, take a minute to rate us and share feedback and reactions on iTunes or whatever app that you listened on. We're on Facebook and Twitter, of course, too, if you'd like to get in touch. Thanks. See you next time. Hey, do you have any romance or kitten stories? Hi, I'd like two medium adventure stories uh, and hold the cheese. Get me some non-fiction. Anything. Just, just get me some non-fiction. Wow, that tall tale looks so funny. I want two, please. I'll take comedy. Yeah, something funny. Romance for Prem, fame and fortune for Kirti, and a coming of age for Sunanda. Your takeaway orders are ready at counter number two.
That was so fulfilling. Produced by Sonolol.